We read the scriptures as to not forget where we've come from and where we are going. That is towards Jesus. Take a moment with me this morning to speak it out loud over your life, your family, and our world. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Well, good morning, everybody. We're really glad you are with us, whether you're in the room or online. Man, I just want you to know here at Faith Church, this is a place for you, and uh, it's always a joy to be able to gather together and worship, whether in room or in your own living room. We're really, really glad, man, that you are here. You know, last week we uh, kicked off this new collection of sermons titled The Practice of Worship, and we talked last week about how our worship as a congregation kind of shapes something of our life of faith. There, there's something that is formed in us. And here at Faith Church, every Sunday, our goal is kind of twofold. One, we want to host the presence of God in a really life-giving way so that you can encounter the real Jesus and take your next steps in your faith. Some of us, that's our very first step. Some of us, it's a secondary or third or down the road. We all have these next steps that we can take. And that's kind of the, the goal of our gathering each week to do that. And, you know, last Sunday, my goal was really to reiterate the value that we have of gathering together and to, to communicate through Scripture how our gathering together, there is something that transpires and occurs in the space and in our lives when we are with one another in worship. And it was not intended in any way to, to maybe bring shame or condemnation. I, I, I am so thankful for the many people, not only in the room, but those who watch faithfully online. Uh, we, we are aware that so many of you, you have a, a schedule where you work alternating weekends. I got a message this morning from a young lady who's like, can't wait to watch online later. I'm stuck at work. And man, there's something though um, that, that we felt important last week to help us remember that there is something formative that takes place in our hearts and lives. And as the Holy Spirit draws us together, or even as he shows us things in his word, we're able to take a moment sometimes and pause and say, okay, Lord, what's my motive in my worship? What's my motive in my gathering? What's, what's, what's in my heart? And it's important that we examine our hearts before the Lord. It's, it's kind of what God asks of us. And there's something that happens in the presence of God, among the people of God, or in times of worship to God, where he begins to give us a glimpse into what's happening in our hearts. And I want to talk to you today about how the practice of worship cultivates a heart after God. How it cultivates a heart for God, towards God. Kind of our thesis verse or our theme verse for this whole year is Mark 12, 29 and 30. But verse 29 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart 
with all your heart. You know, it's interesting, in the Greek, that word all, it's really interesting, it'll blow your mind. In the Greek, the word all means all. It means all. It means from a whole heart and from every component and category and segment of your heart, let it love God. Let it be a reflection of love for God. Psalms 86 and verse 8 says this, starting from in verse 8 and going through verse 13, and it says, Among the gods there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. We're getting an idea of what it looks like to worship, why we worship. What does it look like to have a heart that is cultivated in a way that worships God? It says, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. I want you to hear the singularity of our love for God. I want you to hear the singularity in this passage of what our heart's posture, the attachments, the entanglements, the values, the priorities that are found in, in our heart. It says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart. Would you say that phrase with me? Would you type it in the chat this morning? Would you say that? Give me an undivided heart. Goes on to say that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. Somebody in the chat needs to give me one of them heart emojis real quick. Pick your color. I don't care. Give me one of those all your heart emojis. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will glorify your name on Sunday. Uh, I will glorify your name when it feels really good and I feel the, the jams and the, the spirit move. That's when I'll be glorifying your, your name. No, I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards me, and you have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. You've delivered me, and this is why I sing. This is why I praise, and this is what we're after. We want to realize that the practice of our worship cultivates a heart for God. Our practice of gathering and singing and lifting our hands and clapping and, 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 and kneeling before the Lord, this practice of worship, it cultivates something in our heart for God. And your heart matters so much. Now, we get this in a physical sense, don't we? Like when something goes wrong with your physical heart, everything goes wrong. Did you know one in four deaths in the United States occurs because of a heart condition or heart disease? I mean, statistically, now we're people of faith. We like to, you know, believe God for the best and believe in healing. Absolutely, I, I get that. But statistically, if there are four people on your row, there are four people sitting in your living room right now. Statistically, one out of the four of you might want to go check your heart. Right? Like one in four of us better do something to make sure we're taking care of our heart. Pastor, that's not really good news. I know, but it really helps us understand physically how important our heart is. Have you ever stopped to think how many spiritual deaths occur because of a bad heart? 
How many people fall away from following God because of maybe something in their heart? How many of us show up to church on Sunday and on the exterior, there's something good and it looks Christian, but on the interior, maybe there's something growing, there's a blocked valve somewhere. I believe that worship is this. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you're not taking notes, pull out your phone and type it in. Worship is when we put our full attention and our full affection in God's direction. Worship is when we put our full attention and affection in God's direction with our hearts, all of the affection, all of the attention that we would place on it's going in the direction of the Almighty. Now, this can absolutely be done in, in, in a lot of ways. You know, we can, we can serve others, we can give, we can even obey sacrificially, right? Like we can, we can um, surrender at different moments in time. We, we can definitely use our own time to honor God, to worship God, to give him our affection and our attention, but we absolutely give God our affection and our attention from our heart when we sing, when we lift hands, when we kneel, when we clap, when we together and individually are worshiping God. There is something of a heart after God. There's an alignment that happens in our heart and worship is putting our full attention and affection in God's direction. And, and I just want to acknowledge, like I fully get that when the Bible talks about worship in certain settings and contexts, uh, it does definitely include a broad definition that would involve serving and giving and obedience and, and, and living a life that honors God. Like I absolutely, all of that is a life of worship for sure. But in this collection, we really want to focus in on the practice of worship through song and expressions of worship to God and what the Bible says about those things and what happens in our lives. In Romans 1 verse 21, Paul makes a really interesting uh, diagnosis of our heart condition in in the world. And he was diagnosing a specific people, but I think it absolutely occurs and it plays out in our lives today. He makes this uh, statement as it relates to the diagnosis of, of a heart condition uh, of people. It says this in, in Romans 1.21. It says, although they knew God, like they knew what it was like, they knew they should go to church, they knew some scriptures, they had maybe memorized, you know, John 3.16, they, they knew some stuff. They could argue and figure out some, and they intellectually knew God, but they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. They didn't glorify God, nor did they give thanks to him. One author makes some commentary on this verse, and it says their lives and their loves had gotten out of order. Created things got in the way of the creator. Gratitude turned into entitlement. As we approach God, his primary concern is the devotion of our hearts, not our performance out of duty. It's incredibly easy to have something take over our hearts, to make its way into first place without us even knowing it. We can keep up our involvement in our small groups. We can attend church faithfully, give generously, love sacrificially, while holding something other than God as sacred in our hearts. That's why God always looks first at our hearts 
rather than at our religious habits. Because it's possible to have religious habits, but yet have a heart condition that is keeping us from having a heart after God. And the practice of worship helps reverse the heart conditions. I want to talk to you about three heart conditions this morning that honor God. Let's talk about three heart conditions that honor God. Three heart conditions that I believe result from the practice of worship in your life. Three heart conditions. Number one, heart condition is this, an undivided heart. Somebody say undivided heart. Uh, when I got married, like many of you who have made that covenant commitment with someone, when, when we got married, there was this statement that we said in our verbal and public commitment and covenant to our spouse. We said this, forsaking all others. Forsaking all others. Now, you know, before my wife Amber and I, we got married, there were other girls that had a piece of the affection of my heart. There were other guys that had the affection of my wife's heart. There were other things and habits and patterns and routines. There were other priorities that existed in my life. There were other priorities that existed in her life. But as we stood there, all amazing, my wife in a beautiful white dress, me with some killer frosted tips, making a commitment to death do us part and to forsake everything to pursue each other wholly. It would have been weird for me to then make that commitment and then continue to have other lovers on the side, other affections and things that would get and hinder the way of that love flourishing and growing and thriving. When we said yes to Jesus, when we made a decision to renounce our old way of living and say yes to Jesus' way of living, when we decided to put our faith in him, it wasn't just to punch a ticket and a train ride to the eternity in the sweet by and by. We made a commitment to forsake the world and all others in full pursuit of God Almighty. In Exodus 20, verses 5 or 2 through verse 5, Jesus, uh, the Lord reminds the people of God. He says, hey, listen, I am the Lord your God. I straight up brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make for yourself no image in the, any form in heaven above or on earth beneath, in the water or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Friends, when we have a divided heart, that is because we have allowed idols to be the op object of our affection and our attention. In other words, we are worshiping in some way something other than just God Almighty. And one of the heart conditions that exists in our world today is a divided heart. And God is calling his people to the practice of worship in this season and saying it's time to have an undivided heart. There are kind of two broad categories of idols that I'll offer to you for your own thought process today to help us understand this a little bit. The first is what I would call heart idols. These are the things that we elevate to a pseudo divinity, divinity in our own hearts. Idols are anything we put our trust in more than, than the Father, Son, and Spirit. Money and financial success, our own intelligence, our own sexuality, power, and even the fear of people often create a heart idol within us. 
Then there's what, what I would categorize as cultural idols. These are the things that the world around us, society, our community, our southeast Kansas region, things that our world would value that would seize our affection and our devotion. They, they would take away our devotion. They would not be forsaking all others. That would be a side other that we would hold on to. And it, in, the, in essence, we could figure it out by just asking the questions when we come into a community in an area we're like do I fit in here what one of the cultural idols that easily consumes young people is trying to figure out how do I fit in in this world known as high school how do I fit in in this world known as college how do I fit in in this workplace what are the value systems that are going to help me move somewhere and these cultural idols begin to, to creep in as we try to discover what is valued here, then let's also allow that be a value for us. But what if that value is contrary to having an undivided heart for God? Other good things like career and financial security, social justice initiatives, even the narratives we believe about ourselves, our God, family, and society in general can become cultural idols that creep in in our lives. And I believe that it's the practice of worship that helps to cultivate and break up and create an undivided heart. It's in our worship of God that God often can help point out in our lives a space in our heart that is occupied by something other than Him. And we want to have a heart condition that says, my heart is undivided before God. One author said it like this, it is only when worshiping believers resist all idolatry that they can truly be an, an alternative community of hope anointed by God to bring renewal to the world at large. Friends, that's what we're after, isn't it? We want to bring renewal to the world at large. We want to help bring a different way of living that produces hope in people's hearts, that they see God as God, glorify Him, turn from their own lives, turn from their own idols of the heart and of culture, and start to pursue Him with everything they have. That's what we're after. And it's only when we choose to be a worshiping people that we can begin to cultivate such a heart. Have you ever heard the phrase, absence makes the heart grow fonder? I don't typically believe that, though. I would have to say that absence tends to make the heart grow distant. And when our heart grows distant, it easily becomes distracted. A distracted heart is indeed a divided heart. I think that, that the more you, I heard this, uh, somebody posted this the other day, and uh, I don't typically share these kinds of things, but they always make me chuckle and think a little bit. Uh, but they said this, it said that the more you miss church, the less you actually miss church. Like, let me rephrase. The more you miss times of prayer with the Lord, the less you actually start to miss times of prayer with the Lord. The, the more you miss your time reading scripture, the less you're actually going to miss times of reading scripture. In other words, the more absence from a space or the presence of God, you will automatically find a new way to fill it with something else. Thus, you miss it less. Because absence creates a space. And in the gap and in the space of our heart where the Lord is not filling it as primary, we will easily substitute it for something else. And those things become idols. 
And those are the things that consume our heart. And those are the things that, that we fill in those spaces. You know, the children of Israel, the people of God, they were known for doing this again and again and again. This, the narrative of scripture proves that the people of God have a tendency to love God with everything for a season, allow distance to creep in, they get distracted and they start to offer themselves in other ways. And the Bible referred to that infidelity as adultery in their heart. They began to offer the intimacies of their heart to something other than God Almighty. That's really strong language, isn't it? I mean, we don't even like to call real adultery adultery. We use other words to try to, like, minimize the, the pain and the severity of it in our world. But God, like, kind of goes right in. And he equates that act, which we know breaks families and breaks hearts and is messy. But not anything that God can't redeem. And we find ourselves in a place where God looks at our hearts and it says, if it's divided in any way, it's like adultery to me. And this is why in the context of our worship to God, that something is reignited of a passion for God and a love for God that becomes sincere and beautiful and holy and righteous. And in that moment of worship, we experience the intimacy of the Father, the presence of God in a tangible way that allows our heart to realize all those other things that I've given the attention and the affection of my heart to weren't really satisfying me at all. It's only God who can satisfy the deepest longings of my soul. We want to live with an undivided heart. The practice of worship helps cultivate an undivided heart. Number two, the practice of worship helps cultivate a soft heart. Somebody say soft heart. I love how uh, Psalms 51 kind of talks about it. Psalms 51, David is talking and it says, Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. I want you to think about your heart like ground. You can't plant seed in hard ground. That ground has to be broken up and made soft again with the water in order for seeds that you would plant in that ground to really have a chance to grow and thrive. In your walk with the Lord and in your faith, your heart cannot grow hard and expect God to flourish in your life. A hard heart is a condition of our hearts that God is saying, I actually think that a soft heart is better. And one of the ways we can cultivate a soft heart is through our worship. Hard heart before God, I think, looks really similar to hard hearts towards people. Have you ever known anybody, don't point them out or elbow them if they're sitting next to you, just kind of like eyes straight ahead? Like, you ever known somebody that's just grumpy? They're nitpicking all the time? Don't, just eyes up forward, right here, like just eye contact, right here, you and me, right? Like, they're cold. They have a short temper. It seems like they're always angry at you, but you didn't do anything, so you know it's just misdirected and misguided anger. They're always argumentative. There seems to be no warmth or intimacy around them. They're stubborn. Eyes, right? Just 
They lack compassion or empathy or any level of warmth of emotion. They have a refusal to listen. They're the complete opposite of all the fruit of the Spirit. What leads us to a hard heart like that? What leads us to allowing our heart to grow hard instead of soft? I think when we experience things like discouragement, disappointment, even when we allow bitterness to remain, I think all those things tend to harden up our hearts. When we don't deal with the, the pain of our past, it can easily harden our hearts. It can easily harden our hearts. Have you ever seen the movie Up? I love this movie. You've got this grumpy old guy who's grumpy because he experienced deep grief. And from his grief, he grew grumpy. And what came along was a young boy who just wanted to earn some more badges for his Boy Scout troop. And through the context and the story of this relationship, something happens to this grumpy old heart. It begins to grow warm and full of compassion again. Something begins to soften his heart along the way, and it turns into a beautiful story and friendship of somebody's heart who experiences complete transformation. First time I saw that movie, I cried. I'm not a wuss. I just have a tender, soft heart. When was the last time something moved you in your soul? Maybe not to the moment of tears, but something warms your heart. If it's been a while, it might be time to check your heart and your level of worship to God and how you're worshiping God. Because it's in the practice of worship that we can cultivate a warm heart before the Lord. Why? Because the more tender our heart, don't miss this, the more tender your heart, the more soft your heart, the more expressive your adoration will be. Which means if you're not expressive of your adoration to your spouse, to your kids, to the people around you that matter, if you are not expressive of your adoration to God, then you're in, you might need to check the condition of your heart, friends. I might need to check the condition of my own heart, if that's the case. Because a soft, tender heart is expressive of our adoration. Show me scripture, pastor. I'd love to. The practice of worship softens our heart. Why? Because singing is an act of faith. Faith always requires your words to be used. 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Not I believed, therefore I pondered in my heart. I believed and I said it one time and I didn't have to tell them again. I believe, therefore I speak. Since we have the same spirit of faith in us, we also believe and therefore we speak. Friends, I want to be really clear. That doesn't mean that our words are magic. It means our words can be used to add life. It means our words can be used to water the soil of a hard heart. It means our words can be used to help cultivate a heart that is tender before the Lord. In Isaiah 54, the prophet comes to declare the word of the Lord to the people of God, and he says something really peculiar. He says, sing, O barren woman. Sing and make music to the Lord. 
burst into song because the children are coming for the desolate woman. Sing, burst into song, you barren. You have never had children. You've never who've been faithful. You've never who've been fruitful, rather. You've never experienced the life coming from you. Sing, because you're about to have more kids than anybody else. He didn't say, because now you have more kids than everybody else, now you should sing. Why? Because singing is an act of our faith. Your heart may be hard right now, but if you'll begin to lift up praise from your lips to God, then a broken and a contrite heart will begin to develop, and the soil of your heart will begin to be soft before the Lord. And the more soft your heart comes before the Lord, the more expressive your adoration. Why? Because worship is your affection and your attention in the direction of God. Songs become the, the water of the, to the soil of our heart. You have to sing before you see it many times uh, happen in your own heart. And Jesus himself said it like this, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. What comes from within you? Your words. He's talking about the words of your mouth. I believe that the practice of worship reminds us of something. It reminds us that God's heart is soft towards you. And his heart is soft towards me. He is slow to anger, abounding in mercy and love toward you and me. If we learn anything from the, the narrative of the Old Testament, it's that God is slow in removing his presence and bringing his judgment to a people whose hearts have been lifted to another idol, whose hearts have grown hard. And he brings things like the prophet Isaiah to come along and say, hey, it's time to sing for something good is coming on the other side. Friends, heart conditions that we need to, that honor God, number one, an undivided heart. The practice of worship helps us cultivate that. Uh, the, uh, the practice of worship helps us cultivate a soft heart before the Lord, and it honors God. These are the kind of heart conditions that honor your Father, your God in heaven. And here's the third one. The third heart condition that honors God is this, a humble heart. Turn to your neighbor and say, a humble heart. It's a humble heart. And the practice of worship helps us cultivate this humble heart before God. We know that the opposite of this humble heart, a proud heart, an arrogant heart. Like, those are hearts that God does not receive honor from. In fact, the New Testament tells us that God resists the very proud at heart and in action. But he gives grace to the humble. Friends, you're not going to cultivate a heart after God without the grace of God in your life. I'm not going to be able to cultivate it without the grace of God in my life. So a humble heart is pivotal to our reception and our understanding of a heart after God. Friends, the practice of worship itself, the act of worshiping God, is the act of exalting Jesus above everything. Where we recognize that he's the most important and we are not where we recognize that there's a, a cultivation of humility that occurs in his presence because it's in his presence I get an understanding that he is great and I am not. It's in his presence that I get an understanding that he is pure and I 
will not. And it's his grace that comes to us in the moment of our humility and repentance that brings us close and it does something in our hearts that transforms us from beginning to end. In Luke 7, there's a beautiful story of an account and an encounter that Jesus had. And in Luke 7, starting in verse 36, it says this, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her own hair, kissed them, and poured this perfume all over his feet. I, I wish I had time to fully unpack the cultural relevance of this moment. But let me just suffice it to say, that in the Eastern culture, they always are washing their feet. They're always cleansing their feet. And it would be customary that somebody would be there to help wash your feet's guests before you came to the table and cleaned up a little. But Jesus was sitting there and this hadn't happened. And, and here's this woman whose heart, for some reason, has led her to this place. And the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He said to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would know the woman that is touching his feet and what kind of woman she really is. Wink, wink. Hello. Scandalous. A sinner she is, it says. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back the debt. So he forgave both the debts. Now, which of them do you think will love the master more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I enter has not stopped kissing my feet. You do not put oil on my head, but she has poured oil on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiving. And though they are many, they have been forgiven. And her great love has been shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Whoever has been forgiven much, loves much. Friends, the expression of your adoration and worship to God, does it reveal the magnitude of your forgiveness or the magnitude of your self-righteousness? I don't know about you, um, I've been forgiven of a whole dadgum lot. 
And in moments of expressive worship to the Lord where I sing out loud and I lift my hands high and I'm on my knees and I'm clapping and I'm moving and I'm just saying, God, you can have it all. You can have it all. You can have it all, God. I'm not doing it for some religious calisthenic or to be impressive to someone else. I know the sins of my life, they are many. And they've been nailed to a cross of a Savior who has loved me immensely, who's been faithful to me when I've been adulterous to Him, when my heart is bowed to an idol that it ought not have bowed to. And it's in the practice of worship that I develop an undivided heart, a soft heart, and a humble heart. And it's in the act of your worship. See, when we choose to worship in this way, it requires me to get off of my ivory tower of self-righteousness to worship the king who is on the throne. Does your level of expression in worship? And yeah, I'm talking about do you sing out? Do you clap? Do you lift your hands? Do you participate? Is your level of expression in worship communicating the gospel of forgiveness that you've received? Or is it communicating something else? Friends, the practice of worship, it cultivates a heart. This week, I want to give you a scripture to pray and say over yourself as a prayer before the Lord. It's kind of the one way I want you to practice these things this week. It's found in Psalms 139, 23 through 24. Each day this week, I want you to say this scripture and just spend a minute with the Lord, allowing your heart to move in his direction and give him your affection. Just says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And Lord, would you lead me in the way everlasting? Would you pray that prayer this week? Pray that scripture this week. And just ask the Lord, Lord, are there any conditions in my heart that are not honoring to you? Lord, do I have an undivided heart? Do I have a soft heart? Do I have a humble heart? And just do a heart check with the Holy Spirit this week. Just do a heart check with the Holy Spirit this week. As we get ready to come to the Lord's table and receive the bread and drink the juice, and at home, I hope you've got some things to participate. I hope you've got something here in the room as well. I want, I want to read you the words of Psalm 80. See, because it's in the moments of our worship that we begin to see Jesus clearer than we've ever seen him before. We begin to see our need for his grace and his forgiveness, which leads us to more worship and more adoration. I want you to hear these words in Psalm 80. It says, Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. 
Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. He's talking about Jesus. Your vine is cut down, it is burned with fire, and at your rebuke, your people would be perishing. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, Jesus. The son of man you have raised up for yourself, Jesus. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty, and make your face shine on us that we, we may be saved. The cry of the humble heart, of the soft heart, of the undivided heart. Again and again is the cry for Jesus, the Savior of all, Lord of all, to revive us again and restore us. As we get ready to come to the Lord's table, will you stand in honor of Jesus? with the elements already kind of in your hand, will you just bow your heads but open your hearts? 1 Corinthians 11 says that before we come to the Lord's table, we ought to examine our own hearts to see what's in our hearts. Are we hard in our hearts? Or is it a soft heart? Is our heart divided or do we have an undivided heart for Jesus? Is our hearts humble or are we standing with some arrogance that says I'll never lift my hands I'll never sing out loud I'll never worship God that way what is it in our hearts today Father as we linger and we come to this table Holy Spirit would you speak to us would you check our hearts Lord as we get ready to take of the bread which represents Christ's body and the juice which represents his blood we recognize that we'll be partaking of the very life of Jesus. Lord, help us in our pursuit of Jesus to be willing to forsake all other loves in wholehearted, soft-hearted, humble-hearted devotion and love for you. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us right now? What are you saying to each of us today? How can we practice this this week? Lord, all my love, all my love, all my heart, you can have it all. All my love, all my heart, and you can have it all my whole heart that's our prayer that's our desire make us one with you Jesus clean us we receive the gift that is your body and your blood let's receive those together first the bread now the juice Lord our prayer today. Would you just whisper that prayer? Would you say, all my love, whisper all my heart, you can have it all. Lord, may that be true of us this week. Would we experience your presence that draws us in, tenderize our hearts, making them soft, 
realign our priorities so that you would have an undivided devotion from us. And Lord, help us walk in humility of heart rather than arrogance of heart. And may our worship be fully expressive of the understanding of the amount we recognize we've been forgiven. So that if people never know anything about us, they'll see, wow, they must really love God. But in reality, we know that we really understand that we've been forgiven a whole time. And may that be true of us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you're if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.